when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's Tuesday, May 12th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 313. I'm your host, Austin Walker. I am joined today, once again, by Gita Jackson. Hello! I'm here! You're How's back. it going? Also yes. joining us, Ricardo Contreras. Cato, how are you? Good. Good. Extra day off this week. It was nice. That's true. We, uh, we had off yesterday, uh, which... Doesn't, Which is why I mean, you're I still this just on work. a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yes. Uh, and Rob Zachney also, as always, is here with us. How you doing, Rob? Uh, not too bad. I um, my allergies have finally like hit critical mass, and so the answer is I'm doing terribly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I feel <laughs> oh, no. like no. absolute crap. <laughs> but in terms of like you know how are things overall You're... in the scheme of things, they're fine. Oh, okay, yeah. The overall is fine. <laughs> it's just yeah. the allergies that are really killing you. Yeah, right I'm now. just like having fantasies of like doing the end of pie thing where I just send a drill into my si- uh, like sinus yeah. cavity and uh-huh. be like, that would fix everything forever. That would just, let me just open up a hole in here and just let it all out. Yeah. Totally. It's fantastic. Um, uh, we are recording on a Tuesday and we're recording on a Tuesday where we uh, don't really have, um, you know, not as many games uh, to play. I've been busy this weekend working on some side project stuff. I, I actually just I just submitted the final chapter of our of my new day comic that I'm writing with Evan Narciss. So that was that's been what my few days have been mostly. I've played some Valorant in there. I played some Fallout 76 still. I'll talk about that stuff I think maybe uh, on on Friday. Um, uh, but I'm curious before we get into what the f- real focal point here is, which is the question bucket, the the dreaded question bucket episode that we have been threatening now <laughs> for a number of weeks is here. Is there anything in anyone wants to shout out before we, we go diving into the into the piles of the questions that folks sent in any games that that deserve a little two two to three minute hey that's a good one hmm. there's a new segment we should call it hey that's hey, a good one that's a good one can we get like a seinfeld as staying with like a lot of slap yeah things oh you know what uh you know the the real thing we need to do is is in this moment say ripped to, to jerry stiller uh a oh, fucking yeah. comedic king <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was like that was a lot, honestly. Yeah. My um my boyfriend showed me a, not too long ago a um an Israeli Sesame Street uh sort of spin-off special that he had done where he was teaching children the Israeli alphabet with sort of a telethon theme. Mm. In the nineties when telethons were like a huge thing. So it was Jerry Stiller like hosting and you know, people would call in and ask about different letters of the Israeli alphabet call in you know that's very funny <laughs> uh i need to i should go visit the costanza house once this is all done it's oh, it's in my neighborhood it's in a story it's far from me but it's in a story uh, i could i could make that walk and and pay my respects uh as i think as i think all new yorkers ought <laughs> a pilgrimage truly <laughs> um 
so yeah, any, anyone want to shout anything out that's that they've been playing? Honestly, I just started playing Apex Legends again, and I opened up my browser to buy the Battle Pass for the new season <laughs> Hell yeah. starting today. Hell I'm yeah. having so much fun with this game. I forget game every good. time. It's so good. It's so good. Respawn you, is so good. <laughs> have you picked up Loba, the new the new character? Have you seen what her she, abilities are? She comes today. Or she, uh, she starts today. Okay. Yeah, so her abilities... So she, so. I checked back in, and the storytelling that's going on between this season, the last season that just ended, and the season that starts now, is they've sort of joined them, blended them together. But compared mm-hmm. to games like Overwatch, but the only game you can compare it to that also has a story based, like a, a story and character based shooter, the way that they disseminate lore is just so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, so the new character we introduced last season was called Revenant, and he was introduced. Uh, they faked out fans. They. They added like some character assets to the code to fake out data miners. And we're like, our new hero is Forge. Forge is our new guy. He's from Hammond Robotics. He's this half robot man. He's a boxer style guy. He's the new guy. And data miners bought it. Uh, and then in the last preview of Hammond, they were doing these animated like interview feature things. Another character comes out and stabs him through the back of the chest, like in a back with like blood splaying everywhere. And that character is dead, dead. And that was our new actual new hero, Revenant, who is the guy who was taken by Hammond Robotics. Uh, as I'm saying, because Austin is a I'm Titan a Titanfall lore guy, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. yeah. <laughs> so I, I know that you. I get know it. about Hammond Robotics. Listen, yeah. yeah. So course. Hammond Robotics took this man. Uh, Hammond Robotics is a CD robotics company and the, the mm-hmm. awful corporate overlords. Uh, they They're allied with the IMC, obviously, et cetera, Obviously. Et cetera. Obviously. Um, I went back and read a whole bunch of Titanfall lore because the lore <laughs> in Apex is so good that it made me want more, and they're set in the same world. Um, he was once a man, but he's been turned into a simulacrum, which I think those were introduced in Titanfall 2. There's only one yeah. other that we've seen, and they're from a different electronics company. Anyway, this is just for the... No, the Again, Titan the lore. Heads. This is welcome to Titanfall lore reasons. Apex Legends lore reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, they're like robot. They're like they're like fully robot bot. They're like the major from from uh, Ghost in the Shell. They're fully robotic uh, bodies with human minds in them. Yeah, I believe. So I believe she, he, his like official trailer was him assassinating um, a family in a restaurant, and the daughter survived. And the sting on the end of that trailer was the daughter sort of looking up and looking at the camera. And that character is Loba. And her mission, her character motivation is to kill Revenant, who uh, is unkillable because he's a machine right now. Right, so who a- like downloads his bo- his brain into new bodies when his current body blows up. Yeah. Um, and also all his abilities are about like, like his ult is basically that he can put down a thing in, in combat that is like a rep, like a res stone basically where he can like yeah. put down the stone and then go get into a gunfight. And then if he dies, he like teleports back to the, to the revival stone. That's the yeah. type of dude he is. His regular ability is a bitch when you run into it. It's like a very effective counter to Bloodhound, which is what I've been playing recently mm. where I saw a Revenant. He immediately immediately hit me with his ability, which made sure I couldn't use my ability. Yeah, so he I has like a just immediately tell everyone where everyone was. <laughs> he has like a grenade that shuts down other people's abilities, which is fucked up and sick. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> um, when you run into him, it's really like, oh shit, it's a Revenant. Like it's just because he's not like a honestly like his hitbox stuff, and like it's not like it's not awesome. 
and like the mm-hmm. crouch run shit is like okay. But when you hit you with that ability, it just means that you're in a regular shooter again. <laughs> And right. you have to like yeah. actually shoot people. Shoot, yeah, shoot the guns. Rob, would you, you seem like you had a question. <laughs> First of all, this trailer's hard as hell. I, Holy I know. shit. Right? <laughs> Holy shit. The trailer's so good. <laughs> it's like, what if Into the Spider Verse just like yes. had people getting snuffed like every 30 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> it's sick. It's wild. It's wild. But it's also, wild. amazing. So. Are we sure Revenant's the bad guy here? Because everyone here looks like a one percenter or like a bodyguard of one percenter. <laughs> well, no, because this okay. is and like look, I mean, there's there are there are restaurants and boardrooms that I would send Revenant into. <laughs> no problem. Well, this is the thing, right? It's like he is literally he was literally an assassin who was whose body was owned by this corporation who was forced to kill people for this corporation who then it seems like has turned on the society that built him and turned him into this monstrous yeah. killing machine right so he discovered uh, that the people that turned him to machine died over 200 years ago so now he's just re- claimed revenge on the entire human race right Wait, he just turned into smoke yeah dog <laughs> oh no Revenant sick. oh no yeah. Ooh. i can't believe respawn made me care about a character so edgy there's a moment you'll see him oh he's such an edge glass he's so edgy but there's like a moment where he he looks into the mirror and he sees the man he used to be and i was like fuck you got me I got got by basic <laughs> storytelling techniques. <laughs> uh huh. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there is. I think that there is. Uh, you you can definitely bring in like a disability, uh, uh you know, criticism uh, angle yeah. here and talk about like, okay, can we can we like stop just associating you know using uh, mechanization and and prosthetics as like a way to dehumanize someone? But I yeah. actually the thing that I the thing that I I think that it, it, they're trying to do here is. is is to just like very functionally be like, here is a dude who was turned into a machine by a machine, by the machine of of, uh, of capitalism, of like uh, just this is this is how he always was. He was always this already. And what's being revealed is that like even before he was put in this machine body, even before he was like stuck in this loop for two hundred years, he ha- had been turned into this thing. Um, and yes, as you're building to Gita. The little girl gets away. The daughter uh, is put yeah. in an elevator and sent away. And now so, she's back. <laughs> the, Rob, the trailer you want to watch immediately after the season four trailer is the season five trailer. Loba Andrade, she's grown up. She's back. She's trained herself to be a thief because she knows she needs to sneak into the Hammond facilities and shoot his old head in the head. And uh, so all of her <laughs> abilities are... She does his old head in the head. The um, head. Down with old, old head. He's got a new it's head fucking now. rules. Yeah. yeah. He, but what if you uh, shoot his original head? What if she wants to take his head off? There has to be an Ur head. Yeah. Head off. off. I'm linking you this the second trailer this. now. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're all doing we're all doing the face off motion because we yeah. have to, because that's the rule. Yeah. Um, um so all of her abilities are based around thievery. So basically, oh, this he's is cool. just a loot detector, yeah. which is going to be so much fun to play around with. We'll have to see, of course, now that she's actually in play, about to be in play, what it's like to play with her in a team. How useful that actually yeah. is. She has like but- a teleport. She like throw. She has like a a grenade type thing that she can throw extremely far. It looks like that lets her teleport. It's like a it's like a you know a teleportation disc or whatever. It's like a bracelet is one of those, which is sick. Yeah, it I mean, what she has like rules. loot vision basically, yeah, which I lets think her that's see. Her 
Um, and then her ult is incredible. Like in all of the trailers, she has been using this cane that she has, this like like walking stick thing. That's just like it's just like made to look her. It's just made to look like make her look like she's in, like incredibly cool and <laughs> a daring like gentleman thief, basically. Um, and what it does is she can slam it into the ground and it vacuums up all of the loot in an area and puts it into her marketplace, which lets her teammates just like quickly grab it from her from a menu, a single menu, instead of going around and looting an entire area. And in a game where like quickly looting up can can really help your pace, that seems incredible. So, yeah. I mean, it's not great out the gate because, you know, they're not going to have an ult for your first your very first location, but if you get an ultimate accelerant, which is the thing that speeds up your ult, uh, or you get into a good fight, whatever it is, like you could end up by your second or third like location being able to get that little extra that speed boost from being able to quickly loot everything around. Um, yeah, what I, I really like about these characters too is that they seem designed intentionally with the community in mind and mm-hmm. not just what the developers think would be cool. Having an having an ability that stops other people's abilities is. Absolutely, like it's a counter to the characters that have become the most popular and the most usable, like especially Wraith and Bloodhound, where you're just kind of popping their abilities literally all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like Loba in a game that like is about collecting loot, having a character that can just suck up all the loot is like incredibly useful and also speaks to how people play the game where you spend the hopefully the first couple of you know minutes going from place to place and just completely scouring literally everything that's available mm-hmm. and putting it in mm-hmm. your hands. So I, um, I'm excited to try her out. I got to buy the battle pass right now. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to dive back in map. There's also yeah. map changes and some other stuff. There's a, there's a, a horde mode being added, which is really interesting huh. right now. Yeah. It's kind of tied. Well, let's talk about it on Friday because I'm, I have some questions about the actual implementation of it and the way that it will, because right now it seems like it's tied to um, so it's basically tied to a, a drop you can get in the real game in the in the regular game not the real game the regular competitive mode basically un- doesn't unlock the horde mode I think it unlocks the ability for the horde mode to give you rewards but I'm not 100% sure on any of that and so I'm going to wait I'm, I'm excited to play it I'm going to try to play some this week and, and we can talk about yeah. it on Friday yeah um, I, I'm definitely going to play more every time I drop back into this game I have more fun. Yeah. And the other thing that's been I've been doing is I played it and I was like, I wish I was better at shooters because I just, I'm not super good at shooters, especially on PC. I just don't play them a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of my teammates was like, you should try an aim trainer. And I was like, I should try an aim trainer. So yesterday <laughs> I spent like an hour with Kovacs and I think I'm actually one, not as bad at shooters that I, as I thought I was. <sighs> and nice. two, I think I've definitely gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> it, it helps. So we, so I haven't done the name trainer, but I've been playing a different aim trainer that I know, Kata, you've been playing yeah. too, called um, uh, Valorant, Valorant. Uh, which has <laughs> resuscitated my my uh, keyboard and mouse gameplay, like oh like shooter God. skills. But Absolutely. I just haven't I haven't used them since. I realized that the last Counter-Strike-like game I played was probably a decade ago, and it was a CS-style cyberpunk, lightly-themed cyberpunk 
uh, source mod called um, Neo Tokyo, which is incredible <laughs> and has like an incredible that soundtrack. That soundtrack is like that Ed Harrison soundtrack. That is first all time, tra- yeah, dude, right. it's incredible. <laughs> God, God bless you, Rob Zachney, for being with me on this one. Um, <laughs> it's so good, and, and that was the that was the thing that made me create a Bandcamp account. Back <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> was I was like, where do I get this? Is this okay? I will. I don't know what the service is, but I must have it. Yes, uh, people should go listen to the Ed Harrison uh, Neo Tokyo soundtrack. There's actually multiple at this point, um, and that and that game is good. But like even then, I didn't. Uh, that was a small. That was a, a mod with a small scene. By the time I got to it, mm. um, and so there were not like guides online. I was not playing with a tight community on on voice chat, etc. And so now with Valorant, like being able to play with people has has meant that. I'm I'm able to just like focus in on getting better at that game and, and seeing noticeable change has been very, very funny. I was so bad at Valorant the first week it came out or the first week that I got a code. And yeah. now I'm like going 29 and 20, which is not like the best <laughs> KDA of all time. But like, damn, that's all right. Yeah, uh, yeah so, absolutely. So and not every game. Some games I'm going, you know, eight and 18 uh, when I'm against really good people. Um, <laughs> but but those 29 and 20 games ain't bad. So. Uh, you still you're still keeping up with Akata? Yeah, yeah, totally. I've been um, playing a lot of solo competitive, which is all right. Um, I feel like it's better than solo unranked so far, still. But uh, oh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's weird. You still get the random people who are like technically higher rank than you that are still trying to play deathmatch it seems and they're like well you're not playing deathmatch good enough right for this objective based game it's like well <laughs> you obviously got into a higher rank in a different way than i am climbed I, I have actually i climbed an entire rank i'm very proud of myself but nice um it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting space that i think so far has been not as toxic as i expected because the, re- the unranked stuff is a mess. The un- I will I'm say sh- in terms I'm of sure. <laughs> I have not played so I've not done solo queue ranked much outside of my ranking games, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the unranked casual stuff, it has been I like don't want to play that game without my friends because right. I know I'm going to get someone who calls me one of one of a, a kind of menu of slurs yeah. they have available. Mm-hmm. Um uh, which that's on society's fault uh, and that person's fault, not on Riot necessarily. But like, right. I hope that they take the. Re- there was like a, a pretty broad reporting system in place and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I'm still running into it. It still happens all the time. Right. So but that's uh, yeah, that's definitely something that it just it hits in every game. It depends on what the Riot response will ultimately be and how, yeah, yeah, yeah. whether or not they change the reporting or uh, right now Waiting. it's pretty good. There's like a menu of like different specific things that include verbal abuse and harassment so and hate speech and yeah it's like they have it pretty well like subdefined so Mm -hmm. i we'll see Um, waiting on seeing their response to that has has been the thing that's been keeping me from jumping into it with both feet i want to play valor totally fair because like i'm interested i think a character based is the way for me to get into shooters in general i for some reason, yeah. that's that's the hook for me. So I wanted to try Valorant, especially hearing that it's a more technical and being interested in working on my technical skills. But when people get obsessed with technic- being technically skilled, they just tend to be mean. And I was waiting for the game to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, still playing that. Happy to play it with a group, having, having fun with that too. 
Um, all right. With that said, do we want to dive into the question bucket? It's time. I feel like it is. I have new questions. I also have some very old questions. <laughs> I have I have OG question bucket questions in front of me on top of stuff people have sent in. Do y'all want to go old or new first? And then I'll start rotating. Well, now I'm really curious. Like, what's some old shit? Like, uh, yeah. you want some old some shit? aesthetic quality. Tell me the but, old like, shit. All right. Here's yeah. a fun one. This one. This let's see here. Um, all right. Rhodes writes in and says, my friends and I have started a conversational video game podcast, and I struggle with having meaningful things to say. The show is still finding its groove, but I'm often baffled at some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth when I'm trying to say things other than it's good, it's interesting, or it feels good. <laughs> I want to describe the aspects I like rather than call it a positive experience. We're inspired by Waypoint's Why We Play motif, a thing that existed <laughs> once, uh, but it's weirdly difficult to understand why we feel a certain way. For me, our show ends up helping me understand why I feel the way I do because I'm forced to talk about it. It's usually a long, rambling journey to get there. I'd like to be more prepared going in. I guess my question is, do you ever feel silly after the things you say on a podcast? As a fan of your site and show, I never think you're being unreasonable or thoughtless, even if I disagree. Do you have any tips for talking about games without being reductive, or is this just something that comes with time? Thanks, and sorry for the long email, Rhodes. I feel silly oh, all the fucking time. Every fucking every episode, <laughs> I yeah, feel no, stupid I, pretty much every time I talk. I mean, I don't, so. <laughs> I, I, I'll say that I think that there are good episodes and bad episodes. I leave the table feeling different every recording. Like there sure. is not a. I'm not someone who's like. I mean, I think our batting average is pretty good. All set, right? Like I'm, I'm happy with the show. Um, uh, but of course, there are days when I would leave it and go like, "Man, that fucking sucked." <laughs> Man, why? Did, what was I even saying? Yeah. You just talk sometimes. There was a Rob. Can we just put? Can we? Do do we want to draw some? Do you want to make some public beef about a podcast that will never get back to that podcast? Sure. Uh, so Rob, you've been sending me clips. Oh no! Oh, we're doing this one. Oh shit! Well, only, <laughs> okay. only because it's going to <laughs> only because it reflects. I was back wondering on if we were ever going to talk about this. The truth of me and my feeling about myself in podcasts, also, um, which is which is that there is that. What's the name of that podcast? Do you know what the what they're uh, calling way it? down in the hole. Sure. Way down in the of hole. Of course. Uh, the Ringers podcast um, uh, uh, about about the wire, um, which is what Jamel Hill and and um, Van, Van Lathan Van Lathan Lathan. Uh, I, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I I've read Van's byline. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, the clips you've sent me of that podcast are bad. Um, the <laughs> this there's stuff that is just like high level there's stuff that is that is just this is the text being <laughs> described as if it's high level analysis okay and i just have to give you some like to the listeners at home yes what is, why is this coming up because for <laughs> weeks i have like been addicted to seeing the social cells of this podcast going going up on twitter as the ringer posts them and they're all pretty bad like and these are and, and the thing mm. about these cells is like this is By stuff social like, cells, which you mean is video clips of the two hosts talking. Yeah, Just this is clear. stuff that generally you won't put your bangers out there, right? Like if when Kato makes these, Kato's always trying to figure out like what are the parts of the podcast to excerpt, like what yeah. are the things that we're going to showcase to people who maybe don't regularly listen, <laughs> but will this will give them a sense of what the content of the discussion was, or ideally entice them to become listeners. So you expect this to be sort of like the A material. I've been fascinated, luridly so, 
by how dismal these clips are about a show that I did not think it was possible to be boring about. Like The Wire is a really rich and rewarding text and there's a lot to get into. Like at any point, I could start talking about that show with any number of friends and probably have a good conversation with a lot of things to say. The achievement of Way Down in the Hall is that it appears that at the podcast's very best – there is absolutely nothing to say. And I'm kind of fascinated by the ways that the podcast ends up stumbling toward, it feels like two people like kind of realizing like one, it's almost like a naive reading of the wire. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by that. It's like, Oh, you didn't actually think very much about what you would say. This is clearly kind of a, a very cold take on, on the show. Cause it's sort of like having this conversation for the first time. Do the conversation just kind of slip up to you? Why are good? Yeah. No, well, no. what? <laughs> okay. They're, they're, they're kinda, <laughs> they kind of sum uh, Austin. I would say like they kind of sum up to like here. That's a thing that happened in the wire. Okay, that sure, is also a thing sure. that happened in the wire. So it's not even like an as, assessment. No, it's of not the like wire. it's not like it's not like this sequence was good or this this character is. It is it is summary, but to me, they're using summary as superlative. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yes. Um, That's how, like, I've been thinking about this a lot because I watch this horror movie YouTuber, Ryan Hollinger. He's just this mm-hmm. Irish guy that, like, clearly, like, works in the film industry in some capacity and loves movies. And he is, I like him so much because he is one of the rare, like, movie-oriented YouTubers on on the platform that doesn't do exactly that, that treats summary as either a discussion of the themes or as a superlative. He actually talks about the content of movies and like what shots look like. And mm. it's refreshing because it's everything else is just exactly what you're describing. Um, well, I think this is what, what at our best we would try to shoot for with like be good and rewatch it as well. But like it was also right. when we get like when we do deep dives on on show topics. But but Austin, to your point. To my point, the the thing that ends up happening in the most recent clip you sent me is that is that Van Lathan does a summary of a sequence, talks about how specifically the character of Johnny drags the character of Bubbles back into into uh, a, a tenuous situation after Bubbles has seemingly gotten his life together. Um, and that part, I have no there should have been a deeper reading in, into what's happening there to, to some degree, because what's happening there is just here's the text of the show. The thing that I have lots of sympathy for is what Jamel Hill does after that, which is she has been Van Lathan has, has lobbed her up a, a pass and she has to now like run with it. And what she does is just starts talking. And the reason I say I have lots of sympathy for that is because the job of doing a podcast is to just keep talking. Um, and what she ends up doing is, to, to my eyes, to my, I was going to say untrained eyes, but actually to my eyes, as someone who this is my job, does something that is very easy to fall into, which is you go, okay, I have to find a point. Okay, I have to find a thesis. What the fuck am I saying? What is, okay, that's what Bubs is trying to do, right? And jo- Johnny is the opposite. It's like they're opposites. They're like inverted from each other. Let me commit to that. That's the point I'm going to make now. And da 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 And you're a sophist. Like, to some degree, po- podcasting is sophistry. You, you learn the rhetoric and the cadence of having a good point. Um, and 
good podcasting is only doing that when you have a good point. Good <laughs> podcasting is saving that and putting it in your back pocket so that when you bring it and like you go listen to podcasts with this in mind and you will start hearing from from lots of people that they don't know how to separate those two things. I think I've gotten better at it over the years. Um, and and really the important thing for me is I've I've decided to only get in that mode when I'm truly enthusiastic about something, including a take where I'm mad or angry, not just when I'm enthusiastic and want to sing something's praises, but like when I like truly feel like it, I can I, I want to get in that mode. Otherwise, I do my best to just like hit the brakes and be like, I'm going to if I have to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about here, let me at least sound like I don't know what I'm talking about here. Let me not pretend like I know what I'm talking about and then later really kick myself for making it sound like I've committed to a bad take. Um, historically, you can point to many instances in the past years of the show where that's happened. And I've been like, oh, fuck. Well, OK, here it is. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think I think you definitely leave a podcast sometimes feeling silly or feeling goofy or feeling like it was a bad one, feeling like you just don't click. It's like basketball. You know what I mean? There's yeah. whatever, you know, 80 games a season and you no one gets 80 out of 80. Um, and the worst thing that I can hear as a podcaster from a fan is like, is like you have a perfect record. It's like when you're not listening. <laughs> um, yeah. You're, you're, I, I'm, I appreciate your support. Um, I, I'm happy to hear that you're getting something out of it. Uh, it's very nice and kind of you, but I am blowing it out there <laughs> this season. And, and what I need from you is, is like, not you'll get them next time. I just need, I just need you to be like, hey, I like your show a lot. That's all. That's yeah. good. That's um, nice. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. I will say as a woman, sometimes it's a little bit different where I, I, I will hear myself say something stupid and then I just immediately think, I'm so glad that I don't have to read the emails for this Fair. show. You know, because I, the, the criticism you get when you have a voice that sounds feminine on a podcast is different. One, for some reason, everyone always wants to tell you how to do your audio setup. And it I don't know why that that's the thing they want to tell you, regardless of your ability to do those things. They just tell you what you should do. Um, and two, like you just every single I remember I miss I like clearly and obviously misspoke in this podcast I used to have with this guy called Patrick Klepek. I don't know if you know him. Mm, but uh Kleepak. I don't know. I think it's Kleepak. Kleepak? I'm pretty sure. He's, he's like a yeah. YouTuber, yeah. right? Yeah, he's a You're always in that Jamal Hill. Like, what do I do with I would say that the, the big thing about that Patrick guy is he just does not know how to tie a conversation together or like build rapport with multiple people and no. glue a, a kind of loose group of miscreants together <laughs> in a way. He's like, not like an accomplished he conversationalist no, or an no. incredibly warm and empathetic. I certainly would a journalist. No, absolutely not. No, not an accomplished, you know, reporter and journalist with a, no. a huge pedigree. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, I got, we got, uh, I got, remember one time I misspoke and called something turn-based strategy when it was real-time strategy. And I like, it was oh, clearly me misspeaking. <laughs> and, but well, it was exactly as Gita's Twitter mentions. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, like it clearly and obviously me in the heat of a conversation saying the wrong thing by accident. And then just like people were like, did you know that you said that? Did you know that you said that? And it's like, well, I guess, man, like, have you ever had a conversation before? Sometimes yes. you say the wrong shit. Like you can't yeah. be on the ball 100% of the time. And a lot of my like a thing with my journey with podcasting has been like forgiving myself for when I know I've said something dumb that is now committed to record <laughs> and either like either doing the thing where I jump back in and I explain it better or I just feel like maybe that's what I actually feel and maybe it's a little bit silly and maybe I just need to be honest about it and 
be happy that I don't have to read whatever mad emails that come through <laughs> about this comment. <laughs> See, now I have to apologize to Austin, though, because Austin didn't want to, like, beef that hard with the Ringer podcast. No, we're but, good. like... I'm like, mm, you got me on the subject. Like, I hate it. I hate it so I much. You, I know you hate it. Look away. I know. I know. I know. Every I'm time. Gonna, I mean, this is the thing. This is the. I mean, we are now doing. I was gonna joke before when Gita was talking that like, there's the Kanye line. I'm on TV talking like it's just you and me, which is how we podcast sometimes where it is yeah. just like, oh, this is a conversation. I think the podcast is at its best when it's not just that. I mm-hmm. think the podcast at its best is when we evoke that, but have done the legwork ahead of yes. recording to be yes. buttoned up. I've said I've said about art because because this is just a thing that gets taught about about art and fiction is that good fiction often is able to evoke the truth of an emotion, uh, like an emotional truth that would not be available for you inside of that emotion to represent or or enunciate. That like this is like the classic one is that like Hamlet filled with grief is way more um, articulate on the nature of grief than anyone who is suffering and grieving in the moment, right? And this is one yeah. of the things that makes fiction so so good. Good podcasts are similar in that. We've taken notes. I've been thinking about a thing all week. And then you dress it up in like, you know, a T-shirt and make it feel like you're just like over at our house and we're like playing a game and shooting the shit and are like stumbling into the most interesting conversations you've ever heard. It's like, no, we're not stumbling into them. Like we seeded this all week. We didn't like script it, but but it's clear. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to save this to talk about it. Hey, have you played this thing? Hey, can you play this thing? Hey, did you watch this? Hey, here's I mean, when when you're really on on your game, Rob, like you'll send around notes for when we were doing waypoints, really doing waypoints, like there was an entire rundown sheet that was like, here are touchstones, here are sources. We all like contributed to it. Like here, here are things I read this week that were really interesting and that tie into this so that we can naturally throw to each other. We can build like, and so all that stuff also, I think maybe helps answer the question roads of like, how do you do that next step is to do it. You, you got to do it. You have to do the, the legwork on it at least until you've built out that skill set of being able to do a quick take on something that isn't trash. Uh, and that's hard. Like that's it's the hard. I love going to a PAX for that reason, because like, all right, I saw a thing today in two hours. I have to have a take that's interesting, not just on a microphone, but in front of 200 to 300 people. Kato, it sounded like you had something. Uh, Unless I misheard. Okay, I think I misheard. There it is. I will say, like, I think the thing that can be really deceptive about all of this is, like, as you just alluded to, Austin, there is a trade off between having a podcast that sounds that way. You're you're increasing the amount of back end labor when you're doing that kind of show prep. You can also really create, like, increase it if you say to, like, your producer, like, we told Kato, like, Kato, look, if we're not, if we're not, like, just nailing it, cut it. Just yeah. like we'll redo se- we'll redo segments until we sound fucking awesome. And <laughs> yeah, you will have now a you know, now it will take you 12, 20 hours to produce one episode of this podcast, but we will sound incredible. But that will also be a lie, right? Like to an extent at that point, you have an artificial product in which I am the absolute best version that I can possibly be with hours of like practice and repetition, but that's not actually what I sound like off the top of my head. And I think few people are like that. I think there's a, one of the frustrating things about uh, mass communications and broadcast communications, I think is that they prize a certain sort of facility with words, uh, a, a certain well-spokenness that is maybe implies a certain depth or substance that may or may not be there at all. 
right? And I think this is one of the uh, paradoxes of modern communications is just that we like we all look at people and we all have an idea now of what an intelligent, thoughtful person should roughly sound like. Um, but a lot of times that is informed by performance more than uh, reality. Yeah, totally. All right, I'm going to move to a new question so that we don't just like look at our own belly buttons for the rest of the show, which we would totally do. If you asked us to do two hours on that question, we could do two hours on that question because we've all been doing this for long enough and are also a little bit narcissistic. Maybe maybe you've been able to tell. Uh, okay, this one comes in from uh, B, who says, hey, Vice Games crew. First of all, I should say that I'm extremely frustrated with the state of this country and world right now. In so many ways, I cannot find the words from the White House to sports. It's disgusting me the way that we value money more than lives. Yes, I participate in capitalism and it makes me sick. I work in NCAA Division I athletics. Wow. So, yeah, uh-huh. so far, <laughs> I have been fairly protected from COVID-19, but I wonder what happens when the NCAA decides that we need a football season. It just lost billions of dollars due to cancellation of the men's and women's basketball tournaments. To be honest, mostly because the men's tournament was canceled. Presumably, I guess the women's tournament, unfortunately, does not bring in the bucks, despite women being incredible basketball players. Um, anyway... Uh, I have been pondering on, just to be clear, I didn't mean all women everywhere are, bas are incredible basketball players, which is how that sounded. This is a good example of us just talking like it's just you and me. I was like, even though women are just incredible when, when at basketball. allyship gets weird. <laughs> yeah, I am exactly. an incredible, I'm five I'm foot one and a half and I'm yeah. an incredible basketball player. I'm not a gender essentialist except for in this one way. All women are great <laughs> basketball players. Um, anyway, I've been pondering on what happens this fall. Everyone from our coaching staff and administration talk about being safe and taking care of yourself, but the reality of it is that they only care about the money they've lost and their programs. We have a certain coach who is currently breaking his mandatory 14-day self-quarantine state travel requirement, something uh, in which the $5,000 fine would hardly hurt his wallet. Um, I find it morally disgusting that the NCAA and more importantly, athletic departments and coaches would allow, quote, amateur athletes that don't fully appreciate the risks to play sports without a vaccine. On top of that, this is the risk that it places on me and my colleagues and support staff. It seems ridiculous that we are even considering putting thousands of people at risk just to play football. I was feeling extremely boned about this over the last week, and then I read this story this morning from The Atlantic, and I just feel like I lost all hope. And then this is, of course, a link to the Adam Sower uh, uh, Atlantic piece. The coronavirus was an emergency until Trump found out who was dying, uh, which lays out a case basically arguing that a lot of the lack of response after the initial wave, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the last month or so, uh, has is is something you can tie to the fact that it is a lot of black and brown people. Uh, uh, dying, that there is a racial component to this that has eased the need for dramatic systemic overhaul, has made a lot of Republicans who were otherwise uh, kind of in the conversation for big dramatic legislation back off a little bit because they know it's not their constituents who are being hurt as badly as, let's say, people like me. Um, let me continue. I also want you to know the podcast episodes that I love the most are the ones where you talk politics. Sure, I love when you talk about games, but I'd really love to hear you take on the subject of Trump uh, as as is handling as he's handling the, the pandemic in relation to the social contract, and also maybe your thoughts on the NCAA and returning to sports. This email is much longer than originally in intended. Thanks for making a great podcast and for your time. Kindest regards. Thank you very much for your kind regards. Uh, a thing that doesn't even come up in this email is, of course, that amateur athletes are making a lot of money for, for the NCAA and for their universities and are not getting a cut of it uh, mm -hmm. at all. At all. 
Um, and that is fucked uh, already on top of that. I really, really, really hope that there is enough pressure to keep the NCAA from putting people in huge stadiums this fall. But I have my doubts. I suspect, like this this emailer, that we're going to see football return in some capacity. I'm worried about it. I don't know. Maybe maybe there'll be empty stadiums. Maybe there'll be... Yeah. But even then, you're interacting with all those people up close. Like, yep. that's yep. just another vector to fucking... Yep, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah, that's just how I feel. Mad. Just get it's upset. Bad. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, totally. Ugh. Like, again, I think it emphasizes, again, the ways in which... For again, for me, it's going to come back to labor, right? Which is like the idea that like the reason they have to go back is because of the lost value, is underlining the fact that they produce value. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like can't we, this is yeah. If we at, at first I like acknowledge that every single person on the world has value, whether or not they are a basketball player, then we can understand that the like the way that we preserve the value is by having them not work at this time time. and live you know totally (laughs) well the the other thing here again the thing that i think it brings into relief is like would the ncaa be upset if what they were losing was or or these universities be upset if what they were losing was equal only equal to the scholarship money being paid to these athletes would that make them as upset as this no they could eat that loss that loss isn't great but it isn't it isn't like bankruptcy it isn't like oh no what the fuck do we do what they're losing is all the the surplus value that's created on top of whatever scholarships are being paid on top of whatever it costs to to ferry people around the country what they're losing is all of the money from merchandise from ticket sales from concessions from all of the from sponsorship deals all that stuff is the stuff that they're losing money on uh, and all that stuff is stuff that these athletes most of whom will not go on to play professional sports most of whom will go on to like work at a car dealership or you know get it get into into uh, an accounting at some point in their lives or who even knows what um become a priest who knows uh will not have that money that they help generate for their schools um and and i think that is such an important aspect of this um we'll figure out a politics conversation sometime soon i think most of us have just been exhausted and uh it it those episodes we talked about research before take a lot more research because right. I want to be extra buttoned up on that stuff. Um, so, so yeah. Um, any other thoughts here? Or should I go back into the old bucket? Uh, maybe we take a break and then back into the old bucket. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's take a quick break. BRB. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, we are back with more questions and hopefully answers. Uh, This comes in from where was our last question our last question was the ncaa or was the last question ncaa yeah and so we're going back we're going back in time we're going back, back in time, time. 
All right. Well, uh, this one comes in uh, from uh, Harry, who says, With the recent release of Spider-Man, uh, you who live in places depicted in video games often look around for, dis- for different landmarks, such as your apartment building or office. Do you think games will ever try to recreate to try to recreate a, a real place one-to-one? Would that even make for good level design? Would it be fun to walk the distance in something like fall- walk that distance in something like Fallout, or does a game need to shrink the world to make it fun while also having landmarks one would expect from places depicted? That's Harry. Um, thoughts? I think you always need to elide some stuff, right? Like, the problem is that there's a lot of stuff that, even if you live in a city, like, there's parts of it that look, particularly industrial places, that look like copy-pasted, right? Like, mm. warehouse neighborhoods, you don't need to actually model everything that goes into, like, warehouse zones. Mm-hmm. in in a city because like they're huge and also just like they're boring it's just the thing that you end up with there is that you are diluting the experience for the sake of fidelity but there's not the fidelity anybody cares about right mm-hmm. like uh so i think in general you're going to see that kind of elision taking place um just because there's so little there, there's so little demand for for full one-to-one recreation the only thing that comes to mind is something like flight simulators, stuff where you're traveling a distance yeah. so fast and like and what you're mostly looking at is interesting backdrops. Um uh space sims where you're what you're doing is instead of alighting stuff like in the abstraction sense, you're alighting stuff by having faster than light travel. So that really <laughs> what you're doing is just creating a bunch of boxes that you're flying around in. Stuff like that. And then and then and then games that are like very much about trying to capture a very small space. We've talked about the Hitman games. Um uh I, I but like even when you look at something like Dishonored, where like, yes, you're you're walking around a hospital or a or a a neighborhood, it's clear that like this is all this was level design first. This is not here is how this space historically came together in looks um good level design and i I, and and art uh, assets look like will communicate the idea of a space coming together over time instead of being kind of built modularly overnight it's not like uh i I always think about 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 areas in games especially in big rpgs that do this that make it look like this whole this whole area was built yesterday um Mm -hmm. or was all built 50 years ago and everything looks exactly 50 years ago um like oh yeah this is our area that's like from the 1950s or whatever and it's all looks like the 1950s and it's like well no because someone else (laughs) moved into this neighborhood and and built a shitty you know new house that doesn't match the rest of the area the rest of the stuff around around it or this person has like a pool that looks different or the paint job over here should be different or the materials being used would have changed over time um and and real neighborhoods have character but also have exceptions um or that character ex- it like kind of spans a number of generations uh and and that's one of the things that i see in terms of art assets that that miss a lot um but good art and good level design can communicate a history through its design and through its like layering basically of different types of of locations and different types of material usage and and stuff like that so i'm having a hard time coming up with specific examples but i know these are things i look for 
when I've I think been about them. Thinking about this, actually, when I walk around outside New York now, like mm-hmm. what actually communicates a, 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 a place where people are living or have lived in that's currently on decline. And you see like a lot less of the graffiti like oh uh the end is here although i did see one of those recently on a walk and i was like come on loser like (laughs) fuck off but it was like you see that stuff but that was Mm -hmm. someone like doing a a bit you know someone winkingly knowingly a gesturing towards pop culture and when you see those kinds of things in level design you know that that is someone taking an extreme shorthand to communicate something to you very quickly. And yeah. I feel like that is the difference between designing something in terms of level design and designing something in terms of aesthetics, in terms of creating a place, like a lived-in place. And the stuff that I've noticed, like walking around in Brooklyn, that makes me feel like, oh, Brooklyn's, something's happening. Something's a little bit different here. It's just like, mm-hmm. a lot more garbage everywhere. And like the detritus includes new materials that I hadn't seen before like masks and gloves are now part of the garbage collection that just sort of is in the drains of, of Bushwick. So it's uh, it's been, that's been sort of illuminating when I think about how to, how to create a narrative within a space and in a place and what, what video games don't do very well. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. I think you um, could say that, and this is probably just cause it's on the mind, but uh Final Fantasy VII does a good job of having different kind of spaces, thinking specifically kind of to Aerith's house compared to some of the rest of the slums and like the way that even the slums themselves have kind of this mismatched architecture in places. Yeah. Versus like on top of plate, which was is like more uniformly industrial. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My favorite stuff is stuff that like blends it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. a little bit more um like almost like you could feel the paintbrush of time versus here is one place here is another place you know what i mean um but right, again true. i'm like i know this is a thing i've written about games i'm now struggling to think about a particular <laughs> place because that's <laughs> where my brain is at after not sleeping last night so oh, poor, yeah. sometimes it do be like that but sometimes. i know what you mean like there is a complete difference between designing a space to be played in and designing a space to yeah. actually represent a space. And I do feel like um, I, there's something in our current moment that's like really making me think about this a lot just because so many games are set in like a post-apocalyptic space with like evil graffiti everywhere and like, yeah. I don't know, like just a toilet full of uh-huh. shit, you know, yeah. and like that's we don't live in during an apocalypse. We live during a time where things have changed for us socially, economically in ways that are mostly bad and things seem a little dire. And there's also a deadly virus, which usually is part of these apocalypse plots. Um, and that's not at all how the environment has changed. It's changed in smaller ways, less obvious ways. And it's just making me think about how humans affect a space by living in it. I think the one thing for me when I think about games that are designed like levels that are supposed to be a city but feel like a level is like you don't think about how human beings would be in that space and how human beings would like go to the store or like (laughs) (laughs) pick up some groceries, you know, grab, go to the bodega. Where do they buy their bread? Then the thing is, I think for a lot of games, they function on that absence, right? Like you, you, you allied that specific stuff because that's just not the focal point and because introducing it can create a sort of tension or friction. Um, and so I, I can imagine 
sometimes it might look like this doesn't look like a real place. Where would people buy their bread? At, you know, issuing that as a critique when in fact the answer is like, yeah, we we couldn't show you where their fucking bread came from because yeah. you would think about where their bread came from. Yeah. And there's like very thin narrative uh, uh, reasoning for this place being here to begin with would fall apart. Shoot the aliens. Uh, and and Please, I'm, I'm not like defending you. that perspective necessarily. But yes. Um, speaking of shooting the aliens, this question comes in from Steven who says, preface. This is a new one. I've been a professional game developer for over a decade, and you've played games I've worked on. This is only relevant because I talk about cost estimates below. I like to say anonymous because uh, expressing public concern about this is not at all worth the potential blowback. Question. Why is Bright Memory being talked about as a wholly original work instead of a remix? Um, for people who don't remember, Bright Memory Infinite was at that Xbox event last week. It looked really cool. Rob and Kato and I geeked out about it and talked about how the combat looked great and how the setting looked like bananas and kind of cool. Um, uh, Steven writes, this game was made with tens of thousands of dollars of wholly stolen assets from other games ripped from commercial games not purchased on an asset store. It was sold on Steam with those assets. It made a lot of money being sold, sold for cheap because stealing assets is cheaper than making them. Afterwards, the developer acknowledged the theft and promised to replace the assets. They changed the models, but not the rigs or animations, which are more costly to produce. They continue to sell it on Steam and are now being promoted by Microsoft. Uh, for what it's worth, I just quickly Googled around and had seen, definitely saw the accusations, saw the person owning up to it, promising to change it, saw changed assets. I couldn't quickly confirm that the rigs and animations were still the same because that's a deeper dive thing. And I didn't see anyone else who had done that reporting yet. Uh, but, you know, I, Stephen is saying this, so I mean, let me repeat it in, in Stephen's words. Uh, if the copyright holders chose not to pursue legal action, that's fine. It would be hard to prove damages. If Valve chooses to profit by selling stolen material because they're too big to notice, that's their choice. If Microsoft wants to give a platform, give it a platform because it looks cool, I won't stand in their way. But I really wish Games Press would stop saying it was made by one person. The truth is so much more interesting, and the lie hurts independent developers who incur the costs of either buying or making their own assets. Remember the, incred the incredulity uh, when Skullgirls said, uh, I guess Lab Zero said, what it would cost to make more characters during the Skullgirls Kickstarter. Propagating the myth that this was made by, that Bright Memory was made by one person part time has real consequences. Not everyone has the luxury of selling stolen goods until they can afford to make their own product. I've seen some outlets write little blurbs about accusations or rumors or uh, of asset theft, but that's kind of a cop out. It would take a little it would take little time to verify the accusations by just watching a few let's plays from last year and even watching the recent trailer footage. It's definitely worth discussing Bright Memory in the context of remix culture. They created something new using existing stuff and what they made looks great. It's not being acknowledged as a remix, though. Like I said above, media treating it like an original work is a big slap in the face to the artists, designers, and animators who toiled to make those assets for their games. I think it's a really interesting question, and I appreciate that the that the person writing in uh, framed it in terms of remix culture and and remix in general, and it's not just like those are our assets, <laughs> um, uh, especially given the differences in 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 creation and blah 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 blah. Um, but I but I'm I am I'm also curious where that line is. Let's say this person did buy all those assets out from the store. Would we should we still then talk about it as a as a remix? Um, is there is there something coded in the way we use remix? Is there something like 
I, does, would we would we not call it a remix if this story hadn't broken that these were stolen assets and instead had all been purchased assets? Would everyone be more comfortable since it had the sort of like validity of the market on it somehow? Um, I think this is such an interesting question that demonstrates some of the differences between like the fine arts world and the world that video games mm. exist in as artwork. Uh, in the fine arts world, it's totally fair to like literally just reprint something that someone else has made and recontextualize it and it becomes a new piece. And like that is an artistic practice with a really in intense history. There's a, a picture of, I think, not Cindy Crawford, but it would say a model who's posing nude when she was underage and she was at the time not really aware of what was happening to her. Um, and that original print is gone, but it was reprinted printed by another artist this hangs in the Oberlin College Library which is why I know all this um <clears throat> and the recontextualization of that print makes it its own legitimate art object that is not uh subject to the same suits that this woman had to have that image removed from literally the rest of the world like that is that's like a real thing that's like a real thing mm -hmm. that people do and it's okay and like people understand that this is something that happens sometimes you create things and though that thing itself becomes such a statement in and of itself that by fucking with stealing remixing changing recontextualizing that image it, it does become its own legitimate piece of art uh video games doesn't live there and i think that part of that is because of our it's it's in the art world, like so much of fine arts is invested in this idea of making money, making money. I call this shit like hype beast art, like, you know, like stuff that just mm. is made so that people will buy it and put it in their big fancy houses. But there's also a strong tradition of people that just make art for the sake of making art. Don't think that anything they make will sell. I don't know what my cat is trying to dig into. <laughs> I think it's a poster. Um, and it's um, something... So the, the divorce, like the, the idea that you don't necessarily have to make things for money, that you can find funding for your work through the other avenues, that the end product does not have to be something that sells means that you can make art with different motivations and you can make art that's riskier, art that might get shut down, <laughs> art that might be, you get sued for. Um, and in the video game world, you can give things away for free, but you have to sell things. And that just creates a different environment to make art in. So you care a lot more about ownership of things. Rob is making a face like he'd like to complicate what I'm saying somehow. Well, I would, because I would just say, I think there's also a uh, there's there are certainly terms of art here that i'm not going to get correct so apologies but let's take rigging for example like the craft of making an like an animated character move correctly and with the various elements of the character model uh move convincingly within the world this is not necessarily a like rigging a character is not necessarily something that is the work of art in itself, it is a means to an end. It is part of the production of a creative work. And it gets, it starts getting really murky fast when you start taking that, that labor, that, that finished product, which is the, the rigging of a character and start repurposing it to achieve the same effect for your own work. But you're not like at that point, you're not compensating. You, you are not, you are not, 
it reinterpreting or recontextualizing someone else's work of art that makes its own statement and stands apart. What you are instead doing is you are taking a functional element and in and using it to create your own work of art. I think that's where it starts to get murky, right? Is there's all these other parts of the development uh, and creation of video games that are not yeah. necessarily yeah. the solo artist, but are instead like parts of the production process where professionals expect and need to be compensated well, for and, the work. And sense. there is an absence of the okay. So let's imagine this in the world in the world of, of painting, uh, where let's say the equivalent of rigging, and this is a loose metaphor, is like taking someone's palette of colors, right? These, this is a tool set by which you make something, but even with paint, you might say, oh, wow, those colors remind me of such and such. Oh, wow, those, mm -hmm. those you know, that process is, dis it looks like the process of this other person who has been reinterpreted here. Rigging doesn't work like that. Animation doesn't work like that in video games because there is already an obfuscation and abstraction of labor in place. Yes. I'm not saying yeah. that the art world is fully oh. concrete labor. I'm not saying that there is not abstraction. I'm not saying that there is not alienation from the, from the product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. labor exploitation in the fine arts of course, world. Of course, like, of course, of course. You know, but, like but, 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 but if you right tell me the name of an artist and show me their work, I will believe you that that is their artist. Uh, no one name a person who does animation in video games. Here's name a person thing. who knows how rigging works and name a rigger in video games. Nine it's times out of ten, if even... you're seeing a painting in a gallery, like a high end gallery of any sort, where like people like you, you know the names of the artists already. Mm -hmm. There's been like ten studio assistants that have painted that sure. painting. Sure, yes, yes. Right, yes. like, you do not know those names, and they're not even credited. I have a friend who works for Nan Golden, and, you know, like, that's... Right, that's, that's photography. Is, you know. <laughs> that's not <Yeah>. even... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. like, every medium has unnamed labor behind it that you never see, right? So it would be yeah. kind of, like, the, the idea of trying to mimic a brushstroke that you see in a Kahinda Wiley that one of his mm. uh, studio assistants did, right? Yeah. And, like... Yeah, it, that's almost the closer analogy here to sure. like rigging. It's like there's this invisible layer of like there's people that you'd never hear about working on these things that um, may or may not that, be that being exploited not, depending on how well that person is taking care of their people. You know, like some which people, means like, there is not even a mechanism by which to if if for instance you said oh and I want to license that brushstroke. That's not even going into the studio assistant's hand. Right. That wouldn't today. If this, if the creator of Bright Memory was like, I want to license the dope backflips in Devil May Cry, right? Um, the person who animated the dope those dope backflips, backflip lead designer, would not, is not get going cash. To, no, yeah. no, 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 not exactly. at all. That would not go into Capcom. Would be like, thank card. you very much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. My LinkedIn entry, like, dope backflips. I would like your money, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So no, I think that, that that complicates things in a real way. And I I suspect, but but what I'm saying is, I suspect that a world in which the person did go out and license it, did go to the asset store and purchase all of those things directly, um, would we would talk about that person comfortably as being a solo creator? Right. Yes. As long as that credit screen said, "Here's who I am," and then said assets licensed from blah, 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 blah. I think the the conversation would be filled with people who are like, yeah, no, but he still made it. That, that one person still made it. Yeah. Um, whereas the second that we pull it out of it, we are we suddenly open the door to this other conversation about whether or not 
you know, we're we're actually, you know, uh, uh, co- not just compensating, but crediting the people who are involved. And a, the better world would be one in which, regardless of how you arrive at that conversation, everyone gets not only credited, but ha- is able to build something, right? Yeah, I, I hate that, like, as I have, like, I think through this conversation, a lot of times what I start doing in my head is trying to create, like, oh, what's the model where everyone gets paid out of this fairly? Which isn't really the question. Like, no, the question no. here is more specifically, like, hey, what do we do with assigning credit for this, right? Like, what do we do with acknowledging the contributions that make an art like this possible? Nobody's saying that uh, Bright Memory is not, that is, like, is not effectively a game made by one person, but just like any game, right. it is still an assembly of a lot of assets and tools and uh, designs that could not be generated by one person, even though there's some sort of uh, savant across multiple different dis- multiple disciplines, uh, we still have the question of like, how do we cite or credit this? But I do kind of wonder what we do with the whole, the, the, re- the remix culture aspect of this kind of does interest me because at the end of the day, we do want people to get paid. We do want people to be able to like have sustainable careers doing something. And there is always this, class of craftspeople that it just seems inherent that like all models for this end up with with folks like that getting exploited in some way both denied credit in terms of being like known for their work and their contributions and also forever being recognized as artists in their own right uh right. and with all the com- material compensation that implies there's they, so they are. many steps we'd need to take before we can truly like understand and appreciate the amount of labor that goes into a single video game of any size. Yeah. Like <laughs> part of it starts with like allowing uh, these workers to own the means of their production. And the part of it starts with just actually looking at the credits of things and trying to understand what these jobs are. And it's something that's just going to happen over time. Like I think just about how young this medium is compared to the ones that we all compare it to. And part of it is just that we haven't created the systems that allow it to be easier to credit individual workers for their work. And some of that comes with time. Some of that comes with organization. Some of that comes I, with... Well, yeah. I mean, shit. some of it comes with a complete overthrow of, of capitalism because right. in, yep. the, in, the, in the current model, the only thing the, the laborer has to sell is their labor power. That's the only yep. commodity that we have access to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, so let's like, just change the entire world so that... I'm down. Can, so that we can give games. riggers their... So that we can give the person who's, who's LinkedIn but says still the backflips, dude. Yeah. That <laughs> still doesn't solve the problem of the, like... Well, even no. in that system, though, like, the... the like. But, but at that point, this, we've destroyed the, the necessity of credit as such in that manner, right? Like we've we've this is a bigger conversation one mm-hmm. uh, that 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 I think is important because I think it what it speaks to is one of the generational difficulties of moving out of capitalism, which is that all of us motherfuckers are going to want credit until we're in the grave, right? Uh, yep. If someone quotes me <laughs> in 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 our post capitalist utopia, and they don't say Austin Walker said those words, something in me is going to like twinge because I've been 
I have been uh, socialized by a, a system that demands that my self-worth comes from that thing. That yep. comes from not a collective idea of, of achievement, but an individualist idea of achievement. Yep. It is very hard to shut that part of you off, even yep. as you work towards that word world. Um, and so I, I do think that that is a what we're talking about here is at least a two generation, so, you know, two <laughs> generation long process before the person who has backflips dude on on his LinkedIn doesn't need to doesn't worry about the fact that 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 those black backflips are showing up in projects because like that we LinkedIn have, survives two generations. The link, right. We also need to destroy LinkedIn. <laughs> Step one to the revolution. Burn it down. <laughs> um, but no, no, no. But you're right, Rob, that like that it doesn't solve the problem because the problem the problem is epiphenomenal of the the notion of individualism as an organizing structure for society and we it is an it is it is important right now because of living in that system where the way that we are able to pay the rent is by pointing to a portfolio and pointing to the showing capital look at the surplus value I've generated before. As right. long as as long as long we're in the system, the way that you. I will be able to write, make, make my rent is I can go to a company, I can go to someone who is a billionaire right. or one of their representatives and say, here is everything that, here's all the money I've made. And if some of that money, so if I'm, if I'm out there making money for someone else that I can't point to, then I'm not able to get a job as easily as other people who maybe can have that. And so like that's the, that whole system corrupts this whole process or cor no, corrupts. I'm willing to use the word corrupt in this in yeah. this moment. Um, thank you for this picture but of also, a cat. Gita. Do we want to like do it? We all right. Here we go. If we get to the system where people don't need to work jobs like that, yeah. it might turn out that a bunch of us love products where like somebody animated the shit out of trees. Yeah. In that in, yeah. in that product, like oh man, fuck! I just love being out in this world because like oh man, when a breeze comes through and like the tree, oh it looks so good. I, I will never occur to me that hey, there's probably that that's just a person, probably a really clever team, like yeah. building and designing these forests and like yeah. the way they move. But it might turn out that in a world where, like say Ubisoft doesn't need to be making giant open world games or that whole business model has imploded, it might turn out that like the people who do that. Just don't actually like did not set out to be like, I just want to animate some fucking sick forest. I love animating <laughs> yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the other problem we start running into is a lot of these a lot of these crafts exist to some extent because there is a larger work that makes that finds those crafts both necessary mm -hmm. and will also create uh a create infrastructure to compensate people for generating those assets. If you start like chipping away at the structure where we start, like we, we, we no longer have this model where we are selling these products. I am really curious how many folks, how many folks would still be doing a lot of these things yeah. out of intrinsic motivation? I yeah. don't know. Like how many people are, creating models for just to be in the background of shooters, right? Totally. Like I, I make convincing looking office decor for shooters. This is How not my people, dream, but I'm good at it. Yeah. Right. You know How who many actually people, addresses this? The first season of Shiro Bako, there was a character that gets into CG animation and she just has to make tired treads over and over. And she's like, I want to make anime. And the boss is like, too bad. You're doing car commercials. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I, if I'm honest, Rob, 
I guess we got less shooters in this world. My guess mm-hmm. is people will still, my, not my guess, my, I'm certain that people will still want to collaborate on things. Yeah. Um, someone, people will still be moved to work together. We'll still want to work with dramatic visionaries of certain media. Um, people will still build monuments and still make films and still make games. Uh, along the way, you're right. There are going to be less telephones placed on desks in first person shooters. I, I, there will also be genres for which we do not yet have names. Uh, mm. I'm happier with that world. I'll trade away my bright memory. I don't, oh, come on, that's not what I, I don't need. No, I know. No, I yeah, know. Yeah, I yeah, know, I know. But, but it is. But it is. But you're like, right that you're right that there will be a material change in what games are produced because people will not want to d- be part of the system that demands the, the again the abstract labor, the creation of of these things as commodity, the the office desk furniture like asset pack internalized in ubisoft that that model will not exist the way it does because they will there will not be a demanding public that that requires an assassin's creed 8 that needs to not only have viking story but also some sort of future mode where you're walking around an office and blah 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 like that won't be there will not be a profit motive that drives towards that game necessarily you know i suspect big games will continue to exist i suspect there will still be huge publicly funded uh uh, there's a market for a call of duty you know there's also if you don't think that's something that won't be a market yeah, they're like there's not even a market, but there's a desire culturally for a yes. good multiplayer shooting based game. Yeah, and, and like, I bet people Rob... want it. You know, as it will be different as... though than the ones that we have now, and that is something we're gonna have to learn to accept. Probably the change will happen so gradually we won't even learn to accept it. We will just no. We're gonna be the old heads it. who hate it. We're gonna yeah. be the old heads who hate it. We're gonna be the people who are like. Where the fuck? Are, where's my perk system? I remember when the Red Dead know. Redemption horses Rob, falls? I might come out okay in this. Yeah, because it turns out what people want to make is like Red Orchestra three or something like that. Where like people are like, I want to make a hyper detailed totally, shooter, totally. But mm-hmm. it's going to be more like Receiver, where like you have yeah, to hand load right. your magazines. Yeah. That would be great, and yeah, then carry that- those into battle. It's going to be like lovingly detailed, but also be unfucking playable. And I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me that. This is a fucking shooter. No, this is Call it. of Duty will be ashes and dust, just totally gone. <laughs> or maybe in this but world, I mean, I it'll think- be made of asset rips. From yeah. my weird, like, magazine-loading shooter. I can imagine a team like Respawn, I, who always seems to be running on, like, a, on a wish and a prayer, uh, <laughs> using assets other people have built to make the same technically competent, incredibly detailed shooters right. that they've always been making. Or the it opposite. Just, like, or the opposite, what yeah. If, what if Respawn is publicly funded to make the best shooter in the world, but all their assets, all the assets they produce, are public domain? That would be incredible, right? But that they're going to keep getting. They're going to keep getting this government grant to keep making the best, coolest new shit possible, and that's going to keep food at everyone's table. No one gets rich off this. Yeah, everyone gets to live a comfortable life. And there are no executives in place. Yeah, I think I'm there's just saying a lot we should of- nationalize respawn oh, entertainment. <laughs> Can today. we nationalize respawn entertainment today? The season's about to start. And of course, it's forty-five up million, minutes. Right. There's always a million ideas, a million, a million potential conflicts around the national character of the national game studio. This changes like the, of course, like uh, there are going to be conflicts down that road. Uh, who gets the pub, who gets public funding, who doesn't get public funding. Let me tell you, it's going to break down along the margins the way it always fucking does. Uh, but when we radicalize the entire system, we can, we can bring more people into that structure. And also, yeah. the people at the margins will suddenly have assets available to them, produced by some of the the finest minds in game development in this in this system. Anyway, yeah, I I have one brief aside that 
we can I I'm gonna introduce it and then I'm sure Austin will immediately cut me off for the, the quagmire that it introduces to the conversation. Oh boy, but here we go. I think part of the problem with this also is the way that video games are obsessed with auteur theory, which is a theory I don't even think works or is real in contemporary cinema. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it, I think that's a big part of why we say this is why I think you're right. I, yeah. This is why we say, oh, one person made this game is because, yeah. but I, I also think when you I've talk always, about Neil Druckmann, you're not yeah. actually talking about the things that Neil Druckmann personally is responsible for, which is right. not the boss looking trees or the fur on on the animals. He's right. not responsible for that. He's the overall like project lead. You know, he designed, he directed this game, but other individual people are doing the things that make that game the game that it is. And video games are bad at appreciating that, and they're also and celebrating it. You know, celebrating mm-hmm. the work that individual people do, and they are really you know, a lot of people are really interested in being able to lift up individual figures in the same way you would a Hollywood director. And I I think that that's a flawed way to look at Hollywood and anything outside of like boutique filmmaking that where it is really driven by one singular vision. But it's also a really like it, it does the analogy does not work for video games because there's a lot more shit going on and a lot of these teams have much finer control over the shit they do and there's also this huge corporate component when you get into triple a but this mm-hmm. is my thing this i've been waiting well, to write think, this essay for years i think that like there, there's a thing here that that happens not just in creative not just in creative you know labor but but especially in creative labor um and i think maybe maybe there's an extension here that's that's interesting in the ways in which immaterial labor and and kind of post Fordist uh, companies, you, you, kind of contemporary service based economy stuff wants to take on part of the character of of creative labor and culture industry. Um, you know the one of the one of the things one of the critiques uh, levied towards mid century American culture industries was that they were it was sort of giving Hollywood cinema gave the individual and the individual American who were actually the individual person in the world watching Hollywood cinema, the idea of that, the idea that they had choice and possibility. It gave them uh, what, what Adorno called pseudo, a pseudo individuation, this idea of like, Hey, there is no, there are no structures around us. We can all be the person who moves to Hollywood and becomes a fancy star because all of the movies that Hollywood makes in the 1950s are about moving to Hollywood and becoming a fancy star. Now, they might end up being tragedies, but but on the way there, look at all the space and possibility we have when, in fact, here is a moment at which that space and possibility are being restricted. Um, I think the irony is, uh, or, or, or maybe this is this is an irony so much as like, of you know, sort of the 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 dreadful reality is that the the same those that same aspect that same character in the culture industry's products was also happening the way we narrativized the culture industries themselves, and that is that ends up being the sort of like overflow from golden age cinema into 60s 70s auteur theory cinema. As suddenly we instead of being instead of producing movies that are about you know the st- the the star who represents all of our possible. Um, uh, flexibility and and possible um, you know, maneuverability inside of a society that constrains us, we made the director the pseudo-individual who represents our ability to achieve inside of a system. The Hollywood system did not fall apart. a very specific scene 
more right. in France yes. that was then imported to America. Right, totally. In France, but, where they had a different structure of making movies and a group of people who deliberately like encouraged the structure and solidified it so that this could be true. Right. Well, and so that same system, I think, exists, never went away. Right. We like we all accepted that, of course, of course, the the Hollywood movies, of course, uh, now, you know, you you think about uh, a game is is is, you know, uh, optimized in such a way to give you the feeling of of uh, succeeding and blah, blah, blah. Like, of course, we recognize all of that. But that second layer of like and then we tell stories about individual creators as if the same systems that we know were being evaded inside of our favorite narratives don't aren't then being redeployed in the establishment of those figures as like you know idols as as people who've broken out of that system i think that happens a lot and and i think gaming is in the moment where it's looking to do that more and more we 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 have a mil- we have a million questions in old and new question bucket about altors about whether or not we think you know kojima or or druckman or whatever is the equivalent of you know Spielberg or whatever, and I and I think that that is Michael a Bay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael Bay is an auteur. I'm, I will argue that <laughs> that's the one, the one yeah. exception. Michael Bay within Hollywood, within the Hollywood system, just Michael Bay. Just I honestly Bay. believe that. Yeah. Uh, the, you, I think you and Cameron Kunzelman are are <laughs> Michael Bay defense fund. Um, so yeah, no, the, I think the, he I, sucks. I just think he's an auteur. <laughs> but do you think also he's an auteur? I see. Yeah. Yes, yeah. fair. The no, the. Yeah, so that is that is the thing. There is, like, I definitely think that there is this moment of um, it all emerges from that same tension. I think again, that is the same tension that produces an Elon Musk who yes. wants to be seen as a, and who frames his own narrative as an auteur. He's not even, the sole author of the company. Even I just learned today ooh. that he bought out the two founders. Oh, of Tesla, yeah. Of uh-huh. Tesla. <laughs> yes, he did not even found Tesla. That is correct. Um, he was not on the floor, but but his stands will tell you in your mentions that actually he's the genius behind every good decision they make and none of the bad ones. Anyway, their company, their factory is open again today. In direct yeah, defiance I know. of the it's order. Fucking, it's a nightmare. Um, I think I think <laughs> one final Christ. question uh, here uh, I think complicates this even further, which is really interesting. Sravan uh, writes in in 2016. Hey, I've been playing games for over two decades now, and the one feeling, the one constant that I find myself drawn back to repeatedly is feel. A game can be absolute crap as far as it tells its story, or even its overall design, but if a game has either of those, these two properties, one, its controls and basic mechanics are smooth, two, it feels satisfying to pull off difficult sequences of action, then I will play the game to no end, despite how objectively terrible it might be in other aspects. Destiny is a great example of this. Sublime mechanics, but arguably bad in most of its other aspects. I will not... Uh, yeah, Kato, I know you want to go in. I appreciate, I appreciate the restraint here. I agree, it's uh, bad. <laughs> All right. Um, I, uh, then I, I would say I, I would object to the use of things like objectively bad, but of course sure. I would. Most of the time, this is for good reason. It's hard enough to describe these elements in a video, let alone when you're using words. In other words, the good reason why we struggle to talk about this stuff. That being said, I still feel like this is a missed opportunity. After all, uh, it is the interactivity of the medium that separates it from the rest. Do y'all have any suggestions about how this can be changed? How can the mechanics of a game and its feel be explained in a detailed, vivid, and interesting way? Loving the podcast. Keep up the great work. Oh. I think this is one of the challenges of contemporary games criticism. Um, yes. For sure. Uh, I never I, know how to describe how a game feels. And I try is, so hard. And I try I try specific, I try to find a specific moment and yeah. describe my the physicality of it, describe my reaction of it, and hope that that translates through to like the rest of the experiential. Like the reader understands that like this is a good example of the experience of playing this physically. 
but I don't, I'm never sure. And I don't actually know if that's like the right method. <laughs> yeah. I think this is kind of what led to new games journalism uh-huh. in some ways, which is now very old games journalism. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wild. Uh, but uh, like, I think so much of that was about trying to communicate feel that wasn't possible in the product review model. Certainly like that was like, you could describe what you do, but it would be just dry description. You couldn't get across the quality of how this all worked, what the experience of doing all this felt like. And I think what that naturally leads you towards is if I can, if I create something that says what a game feels like to me, chances are what I'm going to fall back on is stuff that's really specific to me. Right. Like I'm going to be making references. I'm going to be describing things that will if I'm writing like if if there were another Rob Zachney that I'm like trying to like that person will get it like the description would work for me because I'm going to be leveraging experiences, images, all these things that sort of and references that resonate with someone like me. And that's going to work for there's going to be enough overlap that I think we will get there. But I think it does also lend itself to. Uh, writing that can sometimes feel real navy gazing or, or like really uh, sort of self-involved because I think a lot of times just by necessities you try to communicate like, look, here's this thing and it might sound really generic, but in terms of how I reacted to it, it was actually really powerful. But I have to explain to you why it was powerful to me and the best I can do is say like, and maybe that'll do something for you. Maybe that'll mean something to you. If not... Yeah, there's other reviews. They will be. They will do something different that will maybe work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is it. That has always been the way I've had to think about it. I'll say as an editor, this is the number one note that I give, and I'm, I think everyone on this call can can tell can can uh, maybe the number one note I give is like, what is your thesis here? <laughs> um, my number two is like, you're not describing what it feels like to play this game at all. You're not talking about playing the game. You're giving me a summary of what the feature set is, or you're telling me in abstract sense what is what the you know the the um verbs are that you're using but like there's no you in this put you put you in this text i need you to tell me what your physical experience was about this um uh and that that but then i will also be editing it and being like "Mm, what's the feature about this (laughs) yeah (laughs) what do you do in this that riley mcleod when i was working in kataka that was the the note he always gave me it was you don't say what the game is and i've I've come Mm -hmm. to like actually understand and appreciate that critique because i'm always going for the experiential but you do need to like ground people in your description of what you do in a video game (laughs) and i never say it (laughs) my first draft like well everyone Uh, knows what this is well it's it's also difficult in the age of streaming in the age of you know like uh tony hawk's pro skater one and two collection was just announced and I'm guessing wait. that Excuse when me? you sit down to write, it was, it was just, just announced. announced. It was a, yes, it was a, re, yeah, a, a, a remaster um, <laughs> moments ago. Uh, it looks like they got at least some of the soundtrack back, which is exciting. Oh. Um, the the When that game comes out, it's going to be very hard to remember. If you're of our generation, it's going to be very, it's going to, you're going to need to put in effort to remember that you have to set up what this game is and how you play it and right. what you do in it instead of just talking about like oh yeah it's tony hawk it's basically defined how you skateboard in games so my when i think about try to describe what you do in it my first impulse is to say you skateboard which doesn't describe anything at all (laughs) 
Well, no, especially because like, do you or (laughs) are you doing something else in these games? You're not. You're doing something. I mean, it's actually a pretty good facsimile of a particular kind of skating, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it is not skateboarding. Skateboarding is something different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's probably going to do it with us. I hope that whoever did the backflips uh, in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 compilation, remastered, whatever, gets gets the credit they're due. I, <laughs> I think that so. is the I thought you were going to say oh, final. the original people who did the backflips in the, in the first no, one. No, well, and that's a whole other aspect to that. Pre- I mean, that's the other oh thing God, is that the whole yes. other aspect of, of the conversation we didn't have is, of course, that there is always an invisible like uh, uh, lineage in which every game and every artistic process exists always there are always countless more people to be credited than make it onto the credits because of the way knowledge is passed on because of the way people constantly lift from other artists etc 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 but we don't have the time uh, nor the 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 runtime i have like uh, a this. thousand things to say about tony hawk also and i think we need to stop podcasting we need to stop podcasting <laughs> or else we're gonna go on about tony hawk i hope tony hawk is i hope tony hawk is dealing with the fact that under the lockdown he can't just wander through places where people can be like, are you are you tony hawk you remind me of Tony Hawk. I hope Hawk. his kids are saying that to him every day <laughs> right too. now. Me yeah. too. Getting you breakfast with him in the breakfast game? nook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, that you in this just... game? <laughs> Is that you? Man, I used to love you... Tony Hawk Chris Skater. Is that you? <laughs> Whatever happened to this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I like it when people ask him what happened to him and he's like, well, I'm right here. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. I'm still here. I'm doing this. <laughs> Shout out to this person on Twitter who said, we don't want Tony Hawk remastered. We want Skate, skate 4. Four. Skate motherfucking skate 4. four. What? Yeah. Did you see? Okay, wait. Did you see that? Did you see this? Did the you, fucking did you, skate oh, shit. Oh, oh, the skate shit. Right, I have to pull this up immediately. Immediately, Blinky, we're gonna go out on the this. Skate shit. All right, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna read from Jordan Ullman's piece over on IGN. Uh, skateboarding legend Jason Dill was reportedly called by EA to discuss a mobile version of Skate 3 and was subsequently told the company doesn't want to make a Skate 4. He also said that a new Tony Hawk Pro Skater game is coming this year. This is last week. Uh, in an episode of, <laughs> of a podcast, The Nine Club, a podcast run by professional skateboarder Chris Roberts, Dill hopped on for a chat, revealing that he'd been called by EA about his participation in a potential mobile version of Skate 3. Quote, I got a call from EA about 10 uh, EA people about 10 months ago, and they said, hey, we want to talk about the skate games. Uh, This person emailed me and said basically, hey, Jason, we want to do a mobile version of Skate 3. And I wrote back and said, what else? She wrote back, no, that's it. And I wrote back, look, no big deal. Uh, No one wants your stupid mobile version of Skate 3. Make Skate fucking 4 already. Um, Fans have been clamoring, blah, blah, blah. Quote, just do it. Just make the game and just participate again. You can't level it to the same numbers you get on other games. You do Skate 4 for a cultural thing that pays you back later. And that's how corporations can work if they play their cards right. I don't believe that that's how corporations can work if they play that. Unfortunately, (laughs) EA wrote back to Dill saying that it just wasn't looking to pursue Skate 4, to which Dill replied, well, have a lot of luck on Need for Speed 29. I won't do your stupid mobile game. Wow! (laughs) Oh, shit! Man, that guy... Does skateboard and care about skateboarding culture? That um, is. All I think about, you know, I don't want to talk about the modern. There would be such a good skateboarding game just built out of what skateboarding is right now, which is this really interesting conflict between people who are getting picked up and sponsored by Nike skateboarding, which people like think is like a corporate sellout move, which I don't blame mm-hmm. them, but they do make really good skateboarding shoes. Um, versus people who go out and like still street skate, like a lot of young black kids basically go on street skate and like saw off you know parts of uh the handlebars on stale on stairs so that they can actually grind down them and do vandalism and shit and 
I like to see at least one person that cares about skateboarding saying <laughs> good luck on Need for Speed 29. 29. Good luck. <laughs> That's in the ladder pedigree, oh, and I love God. that. Oh. God. Um, so, yeah, I, I on, on that note, let's wrap things up. Good luck on the rest of your weeks. Genuinely, I hope everyone does all right. As always, if you have questions, you can send them into gaming at vice.com. We got through four today in this question bucket deep dive episode. Love you it. already know what the fuck. We could never do a ruination cast. We just couldn't do it. Like a three minute per question no. thing. No. We wouldn't I get would a single die. thought out. No. I wouldn't get a single thought out. We would out. get two okay. in and then have to elaborate on something. First, the first. We should try. We should try. We should do a time. We should just lift the Ruination cast from Idle Thumbs. BPS, I miss Idle Thumbs. Feel like shit, just want her back. Uh, I hope those, I hope those folks When you talk about well. games being objectively better, I almost brought up Kirk Hamilton being like Far Cry 3 objectively better than Far Cry 2. Oh, I, which, oh my god. I, I just, it's a moment I <laughs> adore because Kirk is... That aged like uh, milk, Kirk Hamilton. Even in the moment, the minute he yeah. said it, you 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 could, you could see like Kirk wanted to bring the words back <laughs> into his mouth, but it was too late. Was that a delicious was dish? Was that that episode? God, I can't remember. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I search for a delicious dish, uh, Idle Thumbs, uh, episode 86. Always support the danger layer. And thank God for whoever, I always forget the name of the person who ran the, who ran the Idle Thumbs YouTube. Uh, who put all the great timestamps in? I, I don't remember, but but it, uh, it it's the secret of Monkey Island. It's objectively a delicious dish. I love <laughs> I love and miss Idle Thumbs so much. Uh, if any of those folks are listening, shout outs to them. You can send your questions gaming at vice Maybe we'll get to them one day. Maybe four years after you send them in. Who could who could say? Who could say? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Gita? You can find me on Twitter at XOXOGossipGita. I'm also on Instagram, where you can find pictures of my cat. Same username. Kato, how about you? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Uh, Rob Zachney. I think our Ruination cast would basically just look like the Russian roulette scene in The Deer Hunter. In the Deer Hunter, as yeah. we just try to do our takes. <laughs> like, uh-huh. in, like, okay, here's, like, read the question and, like, headband, headband. like, take. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> me looking at you, Austin's in the power of your mind. You're gonna will. You're gonna will this take out of you. God, at Rob Zachary. Yeah, at Rob Zachary. You know why? Why wasn't? Uh, why didn't Michael Cimino ever get the the auteur treatment that the rest of of his contemporaries did? You know what I mean? I'm not gonna say anything because I know the answer to this, and I oh. we got it in the podcast. <laughs> All right. Was, he couldn't. There's a. The follow-up was troubled. Anyway, okay. going on. I see. I see. I, <laughs> yeah. see. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Um, well, as always, you can follow us all twitter.com slash waypoint, waypoint.vice.com, vice.com slash games. Shout out to our good friends at Motherboard. Shout out as always to Bowen for letting us use the track. Miss you off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that. Waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. As always, as we continue through this week, fuck capitalism. Go home. Peace. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Also, like, the deer hunter's fine. You know, like... Yeah, but, but it, <laughs> okay. it has the characteristics of a film that should have... You know what's interesting? Now, let me tell you this. Um, a lot of films are fine, really. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Lindsay Ellis did a great video about the history of Oscar bait, and uh, the Deer Hunter is actually where she pinpoints the trend Ooh. being solidified, not necessarily uh, being invented, but solidified. No, no, no. The trend no. of a critically acclaimed movie that wins a lot of awards that does poorly at the box office, which has become the model <coughs> for a lot of Oscar winners since then. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. So uh, that's what Lindsay says. Uh, the follow-up to that movie was also just deeply troubling. <coughs> he had a bad time. I, I read the whole Wikipedia page one time when I was high. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. That's what I Damn. do mostly is I get – when I'm in quarantine, I, I have – I'm in the middle of like six – like no joke, like six books. I started reading Paul Beatty's uh, The Sellout, and then I started reading like a bunch of other books at the same time. Um, that book rocks, by the way. Have you read The Sellout, oh, is- Austin? Mm-mm. No. Oh my God! It's about a. It's a in the in the uh, the the tradition of black humor about a guy who gets arrested by the U.S. government for trying a black man who for trying to reinstate slavery and owning a slave. It's so Great. funny. It's wow! So okay. hilarious. It is. It's a big <laughs> thing to say, but I read the first chapter and I was like literally laughing out loud, and that rarely happens. Amazing. To me. Yeah. Um, it's uh hilarious, but yeah, like. Cinema. Anyway, I have a degree in it. I'm gonna stop talking. Bye bye. All right. Look at this shit. Oh, she knows she's being watched now. Oh yeah, she's 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 (laughs) performing now. Mina is like, oh, I got an audience. Let me just be as cute as possible. Yeah, but no, she's trying to rip apart a pillow. Oh, I see. Repeatedly, so that gray pillow she's got. It's got a little like uh, floppy fringe, uh huh, mm. and she's like, "That means it's a toy." Now <laughs> take that away from her in a minute. <laughs> I need to get some more. See, uh, she gets very subtle too, where she like buries her face in it and then just like uh-huh. teases it with her front teeth. Oh yeah, so you can't see her doing like chomping. Very stealthy. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, that uh huh. Yeah, see now it's just outright. Outright criminal behavior. <laughs> Mina, leave it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mina. This is how this is how you get the oh, pillow yeah. taken away. You're not gonna have it at all in a second. Oh no. Is it open? <laughs> has she has she done true damage? Oh yeah. Oh, oh Mina. yeah. Mina, Mina. <laughs> All of this stems from the fact that I stood up a minute ago and got myself a glass of water, but I did not feed Mina. And we're within 30 minutes of when she gets lunch. And so um, uh-huh. a great wrong has been done her. Uh-huh. <laughs> I must chew. I have no lunch there, so I must chew. 
I'm very gonna get. I'm gonna get a cat. I think we finally decided. Oh hell yeah, get a cat. Cats. Cats are great. Cat will be the the easier thing to do right now. But what helped push us Welcome over back. the edge? Hey, was that a f- old classmate found a kitten? Walked onto her stoop like they were just hanging out on their stoop in Baltimore, and a kitten just walked onto their stoop. It was like, "Hello, take care of me. I'm small." Seems like the best way to get a cat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just like out of out of nowhere, here's a cat. Uh, and it so is what's this? adorable. Oh, cat, cat, cat. Yeah, I was just saying I'm probably gonna get a cat. Yes, I want a pet. And Yay! cats are probably easier to get right now and have while indoors. I don't know. Yeah. But my our... my friend Arbo found a dog that someone tied up in the rain and then recently the owner came back and took it back. What? So yeah. Fucked up. He tied up in the rain and the dog was not neutered. Like I don't <laughs> Okay. You don't deserve to have a dog. Arbo was a better dog owner. You deserve to have a cat. <laughs> say it probably is and it's about to be kitten season so if you don't get this cat there's gonna be a lot of cats yeah like a lot <laughs> like yes. a lot of cats yeah exactly um, that's a thought too there's gonna be a bunch uh all right let's jump back into it so that we right. get to continue uh our our thing here all right <laughs> mina says let's do a podcast <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's just double check the Also Discord my Discord at least hates to recognize changes you make uh on the same session and usually I have to reboot it. Uh not my computer, but restart Discord entirely to mm-hmm. make changes stick. Discord. Hey Kato. Ha, huh, what's up? What is the thing here? Let me show you. Hmm. What's this guy? The thing, the little, the little, the little guy that my microphone is sitting in. What's yeah. that guy called? Um, hmm. You know, little guy. We call him a little guy. <laughs> the, the, That's the technical term. It's, it's like little, a vase. It's, it's like a vase, for, but for a mic. But, but for yeah, it's the mic vase. Uh, I don't know if it has an official name. Can't hear Gita at all. Is no. that yeah? No? We're working on it. Okay. <laughs> What's the little basket that's got the little mic in the suspension? That's with the hair uh, ties? called a shock mount. Shock mount. Cool. I need a cool new name. One of those. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, the hair ties have lost all their uh, like right. tautness. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've been for the last like year and a half. <laughs> I've been fixing this with ever more elaborate cat's cradle like twists to the hair ties to reintroduce <laughs> tension, which really only pulls them further apart in the long run. Right. Oh, right. wow. Oh, no, Gita. I have no mouth. Oh, not after, not after I have, all this. I have a mouth, but I have no mouth. But I, I have no, scream. Yeah. I have no mouth. But Gita has is it, but cannot. Is so it mean. working in the, like the settings? Like if you go into settings and like voice and video, and then you do let's check. Does that? Is it like not even seeing it there at all? Weird. 
not muted on our end. I that's mm -hmm. it's the right mic selected, presumably. Also, um, oh, no, oh no, Keith's yelling. <laughs> I also hate technology. It's the worst. What if? Okay. Nothing. No, we don't hear. There is not a thing. Like it's not like. <laughs> it's not like the. It's not like it's mics. like oh it's muffled. No, it's nothing. I thought that was going to be a big wait, bottle of tequila. I thought that this was tequila. Gita hears us, right? It's not tequila. It's water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, the tech is bad. <laughs> Are you? Can you still? Well, not at the keyboard, so it doesn't matter. Gita's working the problem. It's a good poster. It's a good fuck you pay me poster. <laughs> Love it. Mm? Just wondering if it works over here. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. <clears throat> so also got a plug in my speakers. Oh, they're plugged in. Okay, never mind. They're just really quiet. Yeah? What, okay. What was the solution? I went to my PC. Oh, so, wow. Well, cool. That's... So the solution I had to not make my cat angry is completely a failure because <laughs> I have to sorry, podcast sorry, over here. Yeah, uh, well, she's inside. Uh, I opened the window for her. She should you, live. Can you still do headphones? Because we, I hear, I hear myself, myself through your speakers. Yeah, I just okay. need to grab them from my bed. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. No worries. yeah. Uh, Every time I unplug them, I feel stupid now. I was playing Apex, and then I just needed to keep plugging the back in. Ugh. Oh my god, I need to get the battle pass. Where is this thing? Oh, it's just on the ground. Cool. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <sighs> I'm sorry that I'm always the one having severe technological issues. That's okay. That's okay. No, that's no, just that's waypoint. That's <laughs> been years of waypoint. Always, all the time. Hello? Yeah. Hello. Okay. All right. Weird. I got you. Uh, I will not question this, but okay. Um, Audacity. What mic were you Open. on before? I was on this mic. <laughs> what? This mic. Okay. Taking allergy pills, I won't sniffle as much. Always good. Yeah. I'm a chipper, <clears throat> and I haven't seen you guys in a minute, so uh. I'm excited to podcast. Um, can we go to time.is? Already there, baby. Hell yeah. Mm. Can I go to time.is? I can't, okay. I hope so. Oh, my clock is almost 30 seconds behind. Wow. All right, that's the most significant change. That's That's a lot. Yeah. All right. Um, five seconds. Five after. It's not a day. Yeah. I really needed that build up for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, One of those days. I needed to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is going up tonight, right? Kind of. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Same day turnaround. Same like Monday. Yep. 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 <laughs>